Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts. And as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts. And here on the Maroon Friday edition of the Yard, I'm wearing maroon today. Matter of fact, I have on a maroon Stark Villain shirt. You should have a maroon Stark Villain shirt. You can find it at StarkVillains.com. It seems like every time I go out and shoot pools, somebody says, hey, dude, where'd you get that shirt? StarkVillains.com. But uh, I try not to wear my concert shirts uh, during the summer, during summer camp, because I don't want uh, them to get uh, sweaty. I don't. Matter of fact, I got to unpack a brand new Iron Maiden shirt that will debut sometime soon. I never get enough. I'll just be honest with you. I don't. That's what I do. It's kind of who I am. Got a warrant shirt last week, got an Iron Maiden shirt this week. Who knows what next week will bring? You buy yourself some gear. It's summertime, and uh, it's hot, so we're going to do a summertime top 10 list today. Not necessarily a schools out list, but there'll be some uh, school-related tracks, at least one. But uh, we had uh, another edition of summer camp today. There will be another camp tomorrow. I'm told an estimated 200 have uh, pre-registered for camp tomorrow. So it'll be a big camp tomorrow. Uh, we, we made the comment earlier this week about how Zach Arnett's you know, out there picking up trash and sort of stuff. Uh, not only today was he doing it, walking around picking up cups. Wasn't as bad today. But he was doing it, and then uh, Dave, our director of staff, was doing it, Kevin Barbet, our offensive coordinator. We talk about how important it is the leader sets the culture. That's what happens. Head coach is out there doing things that are menial. Other people kind of respond. So, you know what? If he can do it, I can do it. Not to mention, if that's your boss, you see your boss out there picking up trash, you can't just stand around and watch him, right? That's the whole point and the whole deal. It's not just about taking pride. It's about leading the pack. We've talked about it extensively on the show. I don't know that I've ever rooted harder for a coach in year one than I have Zach Arnett. I would go back maybe maybe Sylvester Croom. I mean, I wanted that to work out so bad. I really did because Sylvester Croom's such an amazing guy. And we had the big win against Tulane, kind of got off road, and it was big for us because we've been losing for so long. But uh, nevertheless, Zach Arnett is an easy guy to cheer for. He is. And one of the things I like about him, and um, 
you know, he's kind of got some old school in him too. There, there are a lot of coaches out there that have never seen a microphone and a camera they didn't love. I just don't get the sense Zach Arnett is craving a lot of media attention. He joked with me the other day uh, because uh, a mutual friend of ours was in Washington who walked up to Zach and said, hey, congratulations. He goes, well, what's this for? He goes, well, listen to Steve Robertson's show. He said, he thinks you're going to win 10 games this year. <laughs> so Zach comes up to me at the camp. He says, I got a bone to pick with you. He goes, man, tell everybody we're going to win five or six. I said, okay. He said, we want to keep expectations low so we can over-deliver. But, uh, you know, great guy, man. It's one of those things, too, that being around him, it's one of the things when he was a defensive coordinator, you know, he always has an edge to him. And uh, I'll tell you, one of the things, you're talking to some players, you know, you're out there and guys come up and say hello, and you're kind of getting caught up and well, hear how things are going, is you're starting to see the offensive side of the football have a bit of an edge. You know, defense, we've had it. I mean, everybody that's watched Mississippi State football the last few years will tell you, defense has kind of been you know, stronger than the offense. There are some games out there we played exceptionally well offensively. It's true. But when it came down to it, when the game was on the line, who did you want on the field? Be honest with yourselves. I would say it was a defense. And maybe it's because we had bigger playmakers on defense, right? You had Tyrus Wheat, Emmanuel Forbes, Jackie Matthews, Bookie Watson, Jet Johnson. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, I think our most talented players are on defense. And I don't mean that in an offensive way because offense carried their, their, the load most of the time. There were some times last year they kind of disappeared in some ball games. But my point being is that everybody had respect for Zach Arnett's side of the football. Not that they disrespected anybody else. That said, you're hearing from players, offense is playing with more of an edge. Physical brand of football, they're getting after you. And that's what you want. That's our pedigree. That's in our DNA at Mississippi State. We don't always have to be three yards in a cloud of dust. But we want to be a physical team. That was one of the things, again, that was kind of, you know, a tenant of a Jackie Sherrill experience when he was here is that we would absolutely beat you up. You may win the ball game, but you knew you were in a fight when it was all said and done. And we won more than we lost until things went crazy. But you understand my point. And so you're beginning to see a transition on offense that, hey, we're going to go get after people too. And you got to change a little bit the mentality because we recruited guys to kind of get back and pass sets and back on our heels a little bit. Uh, I know one guy for sure that won't have any problem firing off the line and blowing somebody up. That's Cole Smith. That's what he lives for. He's a very emotional, passionate player. So I don't think Cole's going to have any problem with that. Oh, we're going to go run block? Oh, we're going to knock this guy back and change the line of scrimmage? We're going to drive this guy into the sidelines? Yeah, just let me know who to hit, coach. You know, you like that mentality. But I'm hearing a lot more about this. There's going to be a more physical brand of football on offense. And that's not to say, again, that we didn't have some dudes on offense. I'm not trying to suggest that. And people forget. It's like, it's so funny. Everybody, like, picks the season apart last year. Here's the deal. Mississippi State won nine games last year. Nine games last year. Nine. Matter of fact, I said on this show, I thought eight and four was a regular season. You win the ball game, it's a nine-win year. We have not won nine games in a season very often. Not at all. We won nine. We got the golden egg back. We win the bowl game. Top 20 finish. Based on what you knew about the team last year and the schedule, if you knew ahead of time that's what it was going to be, you'd say, I'll sign up right now. But you did. You did. Your good friend host told you. This is how it's going to play out. And I remember 
I remember it. Listen, Bo Bounds is my friend. He is. I support Bo Bounds. I'm very happy to go on his show. I appreciate every opportunity. Bo and I disagreed about the direction of State and Ole Miss football last year. We did. I was on his show, and he said, hey, Ole Miss is leaving Mississippi State behind. I said, Bo, what will you say at the end of the year when State and Ole Miss have the same record and State has the egg? He said, well, I don't think it's going to happen. Well, it did. It did. And that's not to be critical of Bo. Again, Bo is my friend. I love Bo. I know some of you don't. That's okay. I don't need you to like all my friends because all my friends won't like you. But my point being is that I think sometimes we look back at last year, and I don't know we fully appreciate the fact we put together a quality season. And we left probably a couple wins out there, right? People forget we had a fourth quarter lead at LSU. People forget we had the, the lead at Kentucky in the second half. Those are games defense kind of wore down. And, again, that goes back to the whole offensive side of the football. If we can run the football, eat up clock, shorten the game on them, got a chance to win those games. And I'll be honest with you, LSU's more talented than us. But it's so crazy. You go back and look. You know, we don't muff a punt in the fourth quarter. We don't just, you know, completely fall apart offensively in the fourth quarter. We don't gas out in that fourth quarter. And if we're a little more efficient in our play calling over the course of a game, to give our guys a little bit of a breather. LSU doesn't win the West. It changes the landscape of everything for everybody. Then all of a sudden, you're probably winning nine in the regular season, the chance to win ten. You win that game against LSU, you're probably in the Florida Citrus Bowl rather than the Reliquest Bowl. So, again, a lot happens. Every game, every play matters. Every possession matters. People that say it doesn't, don't know football. Everything matters. Even if it's not a scoring drive, you can put together an effective drive. It doesn't end in points. If you eat up some clock and flip the field and give your defense a chance to get a blow, get back out there and they got the full length of the field to defend, those things matter. It's part of game management. So I'm eager to see this team on the field. I, September can't get here quick enough. I mean, listen, I'm enjoying watching a little bit of the uh, Super Regionals and that sort of stuff, but the reality of it is, is uh, – Man, it just doesn't feel the same if we're not in it, right? I mean, all the games are important when you're when you're in it because you're thinking, oh, my gosh, we could play these guys in Omaha, whatever. I still enjoy it. I do. But uh, I'd rather be watching us. And the fact that we don't have a rooting interest in this just makes me look that much further to football. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I loved them long before they loved me. And I will continue to say that. They love me now. They love me a lot. And uh, I appreciate them more than I can say. It's nice to be able to do business with a winning company. Now, there are a lot of people that come in, come in and out of town, they open up a shop, and they're trying to get involved, and you say, you know what, hey, I wish them the best, but I don't know that I would partner my business with them. I'm more than happy to partner with Bulldog Burger Company because I think they're like-minded. Number one, I think they're committed to giving you guys a quality experience. But also, too, this is a company that is with Burt and Starkville, Mississippi. You know, they're committed to Starkville. I'm not just committed to Mississippi State. I'm committed to Starkville. I love it here. And I love the fact that we've got quality places to eat. It's wonderful. And given my druthers, when people say, hey, Steve, where do you want to eat? I go to Bulldog Burger Company. I do. And a lot of times it's not just for me. It's for them. I want them to enjoy the experience of going to one of my favorite places and finding their own favorites. And so, you know what? Next time I come back to town with my friends or family, I'm going to go eat at Bulldog Burger Company because I know that I can expect a quality experience. You can have an adult beverage while you're there. You can get that chocolate shake to go. you got to get the spring rolls as your appetizer, though. You have to. It's in writing now. 
It'll make you and everybody around you better looking. It's not a joke. It's real. And that's the thing, too. There's so many people now that say trust the science on things that aren't scientific. Why can't we do the same? We are. Go by and have your great restaurant-quality hamburger, one of the fine delicacies in life we afford ourselves. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive, and Ridge and Flowood area. Go by and let them know. Let them know I sent you. And get that uh, restaurant-quality hamburger and that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. Ride that ride with a smile. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk some uh, camp today. We had O-line, D-line camp, and we had uh, 707. And uh, let me run down who was here for 707. Not everybody had prospects for 2024 for us, but uh, some very talented up-and-comers. Brandon High School was here, West Point, Leesburg, Broomfield High School, Escambia, Starkville High School, Central Tuscaloosa, Oxford, Madison Central, Hartfield, Vicksburg, Louisville, Jackson Prep, Houston, Amory, League Central, Ripley, American Christian Academy, Tupelo, and Paul Bryant High School. So, uh, you know, multi-state tournament. I remember a time when this was always Mississippi high schools. But uh, if you'll notice, most of these are within the regular recruiting footprint. And uh, you had some guys on campus that uh, – some big-time guys. It wasn't like a star-studded camp you because know, yeah, guys are out moving, right? Uh, so Tristan Jernigan from Tupelo was not here. He's on a visit to A&M. That's going to be an interesting recruitment. You know, he's from Tupelo High School, of course, as is Chad Bumpus. Uh, Matt Brock and those guys continue to recruit him. I am told that he is likely going to take some visits. We'll see how things go. We'll see. I know that Texas A&M obviously is working very hard to keep him. I interviewed uh, Coach Ty Harden today. I'll run that feature tomorrow. It's a good chance I won't be able to make camp. Um, had to put the wife's car in the shop, and so she has Ruby and uh, traveling, so she'll be back. But uh, I may miss tomorrow's camp. I'll see what I can do. But uh, Ty Harden tells me that, you know, Tristan Jernigan is a dream of a player to coach. And listen, I've got a lot of coaches out there that I trust that I've known a long time that have a lot to say, and I trust people that tell me the truth. And that's the thing with Ty Harden. I've talked to some about him, about guys in the past – he is not one of these guys that just builds up all this artificial praise for guys. So when he does praise a guy, it kind of piques my interest because there will be times he'll tell me, hey, Steve, I think this guy's probably a junior college kid. I think this guy's probably a low D1 or a G5 guy. Maybe he's an FCS guy. And I appreciate coaches that can be honest and objective in their assessment of their own players. And so because of my history with Ty Harden and him being honest with me and not just giving me a bunch of coach speak, he talks about Tristan Jernigan. They have to run him out of the weight room. He's a guy that wants to be great and make everybody around him great. That's the exact words. That's the kind of guy you win with. A guy that not only leads by example but encourages other guys and supports them in their quest to be great. And so as a result, you start thinking, hey, Mississippi State's going to make this kid a priority. I felt better about uh, Jernigan today than I have at any point during this recruitment. Now, I'm not saying from a Mississippi State standpoint, but for him as a prospect. Again, I put a lot of trust in the head coach's comments where it's a guy that I've known a long time that won't just feed me a line of bull. There are a lot of guys out there what they do. You know, all their kids should win the Heisman Trophy, you know. Uh, there are a few coaches out there like that. But I've been around in this game long enough, I kind of know who to call and trust. 
Another coach that I interviewed today, we'll run this tomorrow, is Chris Jones from Starville High School. Wanted to speak to him specifically about Stonka Burnside, but also, too, how do you continue to develop Division I prospects over and over and over and over again? You know, obviously, Starville High School, we had the benefit of being close to Mississippi State, so there are a lot of people that play football at Mississippi State and elect to call Starkville their home. So the bloodlines are good. But by and large, it's not the star players that are helping Starkville win. You need some studs. You do. But you got a lot of people in, in the stands that, uh, you know, granddad and dad and uncle Joe and everybody else, those guys won state championships, and they, you know, they – Know about the rivalry games at West Point, Knoxby, Louisville. And so it's you got a lot of guys that are just good high school players that understand there is a standard of excellence that I have to meet, whether I go on to play at the Division I level or not. Playing at Starville High School is a privilege. It's an honor. And there's a tradition and an expectation of excellence at this high school. And that's not to say that Starville is unique in that respect, but when you put on the black and gold of the Yellow Jackets, you're not expected to just go out there and play for the love of the game. You're playing for the tradition of a town. And generational wins before you. There, again, there is an expectation. And I think because you have that expectation, and you've got a great coach like Chris Jones, uh, a guy that has you know, played at the highest levels of football, he has credibility in the room. And one of the things that he tells me, that the way you develop those guys is you compete every day. And a lot of people say that. You know, it's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's a cliche in many respects. So we're going to come out here and compete every day, and then you don't do anything to compete. You know, Chris said there's drills they do. There's exercises they do. That they, that there is a competition every single day. Had a competition today in Louisville. Beat Starkville pretty good in the morning in the 707, and the Starkville guys are pretty salty. They were. And Louisville guys were kind of feeling their oats. And rather than be upset or, or be, you know, stern – or be difficult, there's Chris Jones. And uh, I said, hey, that was kind of a tough one. He goes, hey, we needed that. We needed that. We made a lot of mistakes. We deserved to lose. And that's the thing about the game. You know, sometimes you win when you don't play well, but a lot of times you go out there and shoot yourself in the foot. You don't deserve to win. Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? 
Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you don't, that shows maturity as a coach. And he raved about Stonka Burnside. Raves about Stonka. About he is one of those guys that you can build a program around. Because he is so ultra competitive. Guys want to be on his team. He is a guy, too, that makes the people around him better. I said this on jeanspage.com yesterday in a message board thread, and I believe it. If Stonka Burnside stays healthy, that's always the caveat, right? I mean, because you never know. It's so difficult to predict future human performance. You never know how a guys going to react when they get on campus. And, you know, I've got a study hall here. I've got a paper due in the morning. There's a lot to manage. It's not like high school. There's a lot more to it academically, socially. There's a lot more to it. you got to learn to be self-reliant. It's a much different deal. But if Stonka Burnside stays healthy and acclimates to life in the Southeastern Conference, I submit to you he will have a better college career than Kamarian Franklin, Alec Cormorant, who I think is a really good player, and Jamonte Waller at Picayune. And there are a couple reasons why. I think Kamarian Franklin has elite size and length and athleticism. I don't think that he always plays his full potential. You watch the tape, you know, he looks very impressive as a seven technique coming off hitting a guy from the blind side, making a big sack. It's, it's, it's electric. And good, good college coaching will get that out of him, and that's not in any way being critical of the coaches there at Lake Cormorant. That's not at all what I'm suggesting. College coaching will get more out of every high school player. That's just kind of the reality of life, right? I mean, again, that's not be critical of anybody on high school ranks. And that's, I don't think there's any problems Kamarion Franklin has that college coaching can't fix, provided he's committed to the solution. But he takes some plays off. He does. 
there's a lot of times you watch them, and the highlights are the highlights, but you watch them full game tape at times, you think, you know what, hey, if the light ever comes on for this kid, but my question is, if he's a four- or five-star kid, why, do we, why are we waiting for the light to come on? Shouldn't the light always be on? I'm going to say this, and people are going to think I'm being critical, and I'm not. I'm just being honest. I think five-star designations should be reserved for players like Chris Jones, Fletcher Cox, and in some respects, Robert Kimdichie, even though he did not have the college career that many expected. When you've got a guy that's dominating at that level, it makes sense, right? College-level size, college-level athleticism, college-level energy. When I don't see those things, I think to myself, you know what? When I was with Scout, we only had 55 stars in the country. Nowadays, everybody's a little more liberal when they pass those things out. And so when you get a guy that's a five-star, what you're basically saying is this guy has the potential to be an NFL guy. Does Kamarion Franklin have that potential? Yes, he does. But I do not think that he is a true five-star guy. Now, Jamonte Waller. I think Jamonte Waller does play hard. I think he does. I think more snaps than not, you look at him, he's always chasing the football. On his side, away from him, whatever. The guy has a really good motor. He just doesn't have elite size. You know, he's like 6'2", you know, and so, and he doesn't have great foot speed. And so the question I ask myself, okay, this guy's an elite four- and five-star type guy, according to some, uh, where's he going to play? All right, he doesn't have the length and the girth to play defensive end. So he's probably got to be in a rush-in position. So in some systems, he's probably good for that. But does he have the foot speed to get out there and cover in space? <clears throat> Those are the question marks that I have. However, when I look at Sanka Burnside, I think, okay, where does he play? Number one, I think he could be an NFL safety. I do. I think he could. He is college-ready today. He has college-level physicality. His college-level understanding of what's expected of him is a college-level work ethic. And it's evident in everything that he does. And he is the ultra-competitor. When they got beat in that 7-on-7 game today by Louisville, he didn't want to talk. He had a scowl on his face. Guys, it's a 7-on-7 game. But in his mind, Louisville, the Wildcats, a team that is a rival school, got the better of Starville High School, and he took it personally, as he should. He is one of the leaders on this team. It's his team. He should take it personal, and he did. And then they go out there in the next game. What do you know? He's out there giving 100% effort. Wasn't even playing Louisville again. I think they were playing uh, League Central, I think. But he's out there basically demanding the football. Like, hey, I'm, I'm fixing to go win this game for us. Find me. These guys can't guard me. You put him in at safety, you put him in a receiver. And he is a very physical receiver. And we're, and we're going to require physical receivers in this offense. Everybody claims, oh, we got to be physical on the perimeter. Most people aren't. Most people aren't. Now, it's one thing I give Billy Gonzalez a lot of credit for, and in many respects, Chad Bumpus. The reason Chad Bumpus played as a freshman is not just because that we, you know, the freshmen were more talented. I mean, people forget Chris Smith, uh, Chad Bumpus, R.C. Clark, those guys played extensively as underclassmen. But one of the reasons that Chad Bumpus played as a freshman is Chad was willing to block. He wasn't the best at it as a freshman, but he was willing to put forth the effort. Willing to play a physical brand of football. We've had some guys in the past, including the last couple of years, that uh, they get out there and you know kind of scared to get their hands dirty. So you know what Chad is going to expect because it's what Chad has delivered himself. Stonka Burnside brings that to the table. 
Sonka Burnside's the kind of guy you can you can run the counter behind because he's going to get out there and knock somebody out of bounds. This is a guy that understands the team concept of football. And I'm telling you, he may be the best player in the state. He may be. We'll go back and look in a couple years. You know, but I, I've had a chance to see him in action, field level, two times in the last week, and every time I come away more impressed. And some of these other guys I haven't seen field level, you know, so that my impression may change when I see them. But I think some people are undervaluing Stonka Burnside, even though he is highly rated. I think there are some people nationally, you know, maybe like, ah, you know, he's a Starbucks high school kid. He'll go to State or Ole Miss. There's no point in us worrying about that. And that's okay. Because when it's fourth down and go at the one and the game is on the line, that's the kid I'm going to. And you're going to go back and look and say, oh, yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. I'm telling you, that kid's a difference maker. He is. And you start thinking about the fact that he's begun to build some very serious relationships with the recruits in this state. Could be a bell cow. Could be an important part of things for state. And you remember we had all the controversy. You know, people were like, oh, well, there's a crystal ball to Ole Miss. And none of the chatter in Starkville matched that. You know, it wasn't like with the A.J. Brown thing. I mean, we all knew from the beginning that A.J. Brown was not going to Mississippi State. That's what most of us believed it. I remember talking to him. He said, I play in both sports when he got in college. And I asked him, I said, well, what's your relationship like with John Cohen? Didn't he know who he was? Despite the fact that John Cohen had called him on the very first day that uh, phone calls were permissible. That guy was not thinking about Mississippi State. The only time Mississippi State left for A.J. Brown is when we were the only offer. And we called him Arthur Brown. Right? Much different scenario this time around. Much different. Stonka Burnside's a guy that, uh, that kind of understands how the game is played. You know, I think Stonka Burnside's a guy, too, that uh, sees an opportunity to do something special. I mean, in many respects, I, I see some Kobe Jones and Willie Gay in him, you know, being a hero for his city. There are a lot of young men that grow up in Starville High School school District that say, you know what, I want to go to Mississippi State someday and put on for the city, as they say, and be a hero to the young people at Starville High School. Let me go win a state championship, and then I'm going to go to Mississippi State and help the state, you know, win the Golden Egg and go win some big bowl games. You know, maybe beat Alabama, LSU, you know. Uh, there is an expectation there. And a lot of it, again, goes back to good high school coaching. Is you make guys understand the opportunities that are afforded to them through hard work. I was a high school baseball coach, and I can tell you that one of the most difficult things to do is get everybody to buy in. And the guys that don't buy in don't get to play. But you look at what Starkville's been able to accomplish in the last decade or so, and you begin to see that there's, there's a culture at Starkville High School. I remember when I was a kid, a high school kid, Starkville High School being number one in the country. It's a powerhouse high school program. We should always do well at Starkville. We've had some lulls in the past where maybe perhaps they didn't produce a lot of SEC caliber prospects. But Starkville High School has been good to Mississippi State, vice versa. And I think you're going to see Stonka Burnside ultimately end up being a Bulldog and, again, kind of going back to the, uh, the crystal ball thing, there's a lot of discussion now about Ole Miss, quote, you know, lowering the heat. I, I, don't, I think that's an interesting way to say it. You know, I think the more apt way to say it is that Mississippi State has just simply out-recruited them for a kid in their home, st- home city. This ain't going to be like an A.J. Brown situation. Again, A.J. Brown was le- looking to leave Starkville, period. And that's not a criticism of A.J. I love A.J. He's great. When he's in town, I see him, I go up and speak to him. I do. And when he was wearing Ole Miss red and blue, I wasn't real happy about it. You know, but the reality of it is, guy's still a Starville High School guy. 
graduated from the same high school that my kids did. You know, his family calls this place home. You know, and so, yeah, we, we'll overlook the fact that it didn't go to Mississippi State. We didn't like it. We were salty about it at the time, but we also came to expect it. But now all of a sudden there's a lot of chatter about, well, it's like Mississippi State's turned up the heat. No, it's not really the case. I think it's just maybe you've gotten better sources on the situation than you had before. But there's a lot of ebb and flow in a recruiting process. And I continue to caution people with this. Ole Miss at some point will get desperate. They always do. Because the public perception game really matters to them. It does. Now, all of a sudden, there'll be somebody, and I don't know, maybe it's William Eccles. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like with all the connections at Houston High School and the fact that he grew up coming to Mississippi State games, I think we're in good shape. But, you know, Ole Miss may make an offer NIL-wise that he can't refuse. I think he's the best offensive lineman in the state. And so you begin to work through these things, and right now even their own people are starting to say, hey, we're, we're, we're kind of getting whooped right now. You know, for a while, people are like, oh, you know, Mrs. Whippin stayed, even though some of those guys we didn't really pursue. And then the Cam Beavers thing happened, and everybody's like, hey, this is not what we expected here. We, you, it's impossible to ignore that. A kid that uh, from Bay Springs, Mississippi, that you thought you were going to get, now all of a sudden he's committed to Ole Miss. Not to say that the recruiting process is over, but I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for a lot of people. Just my personal opinion. But, again, if you don't think that Ole Miss – it's just going to sit back. They're going to sit back and take it. No, they're not. They will punch back. There will be something. There will be some recruit that they will go all in to get if for no other reason to get their names in the paper. And I could do a whole, story, a whole show, probably a series of shows, about every time that's happened, how it's never worked out. Remember the whole Jay Johnson and Armani Linton thing? Remember that? They had the little video and everything. Remember that? Yeah. Do you? Do you? Yeah. You know where Jay Johnson ended up? Yeah, me either. Ended up at East Mississippi Community College on Last Chance U. Don't know whatever happened to him after that. Armani Linton, you, you had about as many touchdowns as he did in high school. But a lot of times these kids are used as kind of pawns in a perception game when it comes to recruiting just to get our name into paper. And then the guys don't pan out. Remember Nick Brazel? Remember him? I love Nick Brazel. I remember watching him play as a sophomore, thinking, hey, this kid's got a chance to be really good, and he did. And people forget that he committed to Mississippi State of his own volition. And people in uh, Batesville freaked out, and he got called in the office, and people were explaining what a huge mistake he was making by, you know, not going to uh, Ole Miss. And then he goes to Ole Miss, ends up at East Mississippi, and back at Ole Miss. I think know what Nick's doing now. Hope Nick is safe and doing okay. There's a lot of these things that happen in the name of recruiting perception that involve kids and their lives, and I remember, I'm, I'm not going to give a lot of names here, but I remember when Cordell Giles is a guy that uh, he was a sign-and-place guy for Mississippi State at West Bolivar High School. Good player. But he was going to be a sign-and-place. We knew it. And because the Ole Miss machine wanted to you know, flip one of our kids late, they flipped that kid. you know how many times they recruited him after that? Well, according to one of their own alums that coached at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, zero. He had served his purpose, but zero. Even when they went down there to, to uh, inquire about other kids and visit with other kids, they never at any point visited with Cordell Giles, a guy that they manipulated to sign just so it could look good on signing day. It looked good in the Clarion Ledger, their rag of a newspaper, to say, hey, they flipped this kid on signing day because most fans don't keep up with recruiting. And then the perception is, oh, well, this kid, you know, Ole Miss is just kind of kicking Mississippi State around. 
Little did they know that the kid was going to junior college. So people don't tell the whole story. And, you know, you, uh, I suspect you could probably find Cordell Giles uh, somewhere in the uh, county roads of, of uh, Bolivar County, somewhere near Benoit, Mississippi right now. And that's the thing that aggravates me about all this is that there's all these kids that, you know, we, we have the little hat-throwing incident up the road at New Hope and all that kind of stuff, you know, and, and all that looks good, all this signing day theater. But at the end of the day, these are people's lives we're talking about. What's your plan for the rest of their life once they've served their purpose for your signing day theater? What happens then? I think it's important to consider. All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler is a friend of mine. He is a friend to those in need. Not that I am in need, but if I was, I know to call Blair Chandler. Blair is a mortgage professional. 20, 20, 22 years of experience, a guy that knows how to get things done. He can get you from application to the closing table with greater proficiency than just about anybody in the country. And he's got the numbers to back that up. Back-to-back-to-back years, top 1% close ratio in the country. You don't spend two decades in any industry just on accident. you got to know what you're doing, and Blair does. What a great job he's done. Now's a good time to be looking for a house. It is. And maybe you're thinking, hey, Steve, you know, we don't want to move in the middle of the school year. Well, you know what? School's out. Maybe you need to upgrade. Maybe you need to downsize. I don't know what your needs are, but Blair can handle it all the way through. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, at 601-500-2344. This is not a situation where you're going to have to go sit on hold or go through a, you know, a call center or something like that. That's directly to Blair. It's a guy that's a bulldog through and through, but you know what? He'll do business with anybody because we all have needs. We all do. Not a you know not going to be a uh, you know discriminatory in that respect. You know if you're if you're a fan of a rival school, Blair will still treat you with dignity and respect and get you to the closing table. That's closeatblair.com. All right, it's summertime, and uh, so I asked the bride as she uh, she and Ruby drove off uh, for a couple days. Hey, uh, so give me an idea for the top ten list, and she's like, oh, let's do the songs of summer. I said, okay, cool, we can do that. I didn't want to do like the end of the school year type thing. I didn't want to do like Michael W. Smith and Reliant K and all that. I mean, maybe that's the show for another day. But uh, Rock Songs of Summer is what we're doing today. Now, some of these songs are a little bit eclectic. This is from multiple decades. And I wouldn't say multiple genres, but different brands of rock and roll music. So Rock Songs of Summer. Number 10, kind of a goofy song. Lyrically, it's really strong. You've heard it a million times. It's been in a ton of movies. But it's Mungo Jerry's in the summertime. And as soon as you hear those opening lines, you say, oh, I've heard this song a million times. You have. You just didn't know that it was Mungo Jerry that sang it. Number nine, I could have this one much higher on the list and probably should have. I love this song. I do. It's uh, from Brian Adams. I believe it's the album Reckless, which was uh, great from start to finish. I remember one summer riding around with my sister, Nikki Pugh, he was Nikki Pugh at the time. She's Nikki Smith now. And uh, I think there were like two cassettes we listened to the entire summer. This is one of those two. And uh, her and her friend Karen Davis, we just ride around listening to Brian Adams. Back and forth to North Park Mall. That's what we did. We'd load up in Canton, Mississippi. And we'd, you know, dig around the house and find some quarters and go play video games or whatever. If we had a few bucks from cutting grass, we'd go uh, or babysitting. I didn't babysit. They did. 
We'd go buy us a, a cassette, but it was a special, special privilege to be able to buy an album in those days because we were broke. We weren't like kids today. Uh, kids today, a lot better funded than we were, not to mention the access to music is much easier. You can thank us for that. But it's Brian Adams, Summer of 69, and I'll be honest with you, somebody has missed a golden opportunity to do the cover of this and make it Summer of 89. I really thought, I said, sure enough, somebody's going to do that. They haven't. Maybe we should do it. Maybe we should all get together as a family and let's change the lyrics to Summer of 89. Even though that wasn't the best days of my life. It was fun, but it wasn't the best days. All right, number eight, I'm going to break my own rule here. We're going to do a cover because this song always makes me happy. You know, there's some songs, like you put them on, and are like, oh, this is so great. This is one of those songs that makes me happy. The video is fun, and a lot of it's because it's David Lee Roth. Diamond Dave, so much fun. But it's his version of the Beach Boys classic, California Girls. We could have gone with the Beach Boys, but I wanted to work Diamond Dave into this thing. David Lee Roth's cover off the uh, Crazy from the Heat EP, which was his first solo offering prior to Eat em and Smile and then Skyscraper. And then a little in and out. There's so many good things. Um, but this is kind of where it all began. This was the first solo single for David Lee Roth. I think he was still with Van Halen at the time. They were about to figure some things out. But California Girls, great rendition of that track. It's your number eight song today. Number seven, going with the alt-rock of the 90s. <clears throat> this is a song that I don't think a lot of people know when they should. I love this song. Uh, Dane and I were dating at the time, and... Uh, it's just special to me. Maybe it's because of that time in my life. It reminds me, like, guys, I had been through, through so incredible much, incredibly much. I was one of those people that uh, made a lot of bad decisions, and uh, I found her, and it was like everything in my life slowed down and improved, and there's a couple lines in that song that, that really stand out to me because, you know, Dana and I were, I'm still a bohemian, her not so much. She'll, she'll disagree with that. But, um, you know, when I, we were kids walking around, uh, Hattiesburg, we were barefoot all the time, man. I mean, we were. We're from South Mississippi. You know, it's acceptable. You know, I, I know back in those days in South Mississippi, as long as you had a shirt on, you could still get service. You didn't care about the shoes. But um, there's a line in this song that talks about that. It always kind of made me think of us. But it's Summertime Rolls from Jane's Addiction. It's your number seven song today. And a lot of you guys know the hits from Jane's Addiction. I encourage you to get a little deeper into the catalog. Perry Farrell, an absolute genius. All right, number six. This song was great. Now, um, probably my first introduction to this artist was Surfing with the Alien. And this is a song that came after that. And Joe Satriani really kind of got you know, thrust into the forefront. Because if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, this was like on a Sony Walkman ad. I think that's right. But it's Summer Song from Joe Satriani. And of course, Joe kind of plays where the vocal would be. It's absolutely amazing. Joe Satriani, one of the best guitarists of my generation. Of course, he's also the guitarist in Chickenfoot. Um, yeah, that's the, the band with uh, Michael Anthony and those guys. But um, I think you'll dig it. It's Summer Song from Joe Satriani. There was a time there, you know, because we actually had real guitar players in the 80s and early 90s. Mainly the early and late 80s. We had a lot of guys that could really play. Guys like Steve Vai and uh, Tony McAlpine, uh, Joe Satriani. Uh, now, nowadays, you got a bunch of rhythm players backed by this industrial mix, but uh, guys could really play back then. You know, George Lynch is another one, one of my favorites. And so we had instrumental guitar tracks, like uh, Mr. Scary off the back from the Attack album from Dokken. It's incredible. It's absolutely phenomenal. Eruption from 
Eddie Van Halen. Nobody does that stuff today because they can't do it with the same conviction and the same style and technique. Much bigger deal. Not to say that I don't enjoy the rock of today, but outside of Mark Tremonti, there's not a lot of guitar players I heard that really move me, to be honest. Just being honest. All right, number five. We've kind of flirted up to this, but uh, we, it's not David Lee Roth. Some would say it's a Van Hagar song. It's uh, probably one of the more underappreciated tracks in the Sammy Hagar era of Van Halen. It's a great track called Summer Nights in my radio. And there was a girl from my hometown named Summer Knots. Her older sister was Chastity Knots, and um, there was kind of a play on words there. You know, Summer Knots in my radio. You know, and it's kind of goofy. It's a dad joke. But nevertheless, anytime I hear that song, I think about her. I never had any connection with her whatsoever. In fact, I went to school with her. Uh, but a lot of people kind of sang the alternate version in my hometown. But Summer Nights, a great track. One of those ones that makes you really kind of appreciate Summertime. Number four. And because I am a rocker, this song had to make the list. Probably the biggest hit from this band. I would submit probably the most famous song from a great band that has been underappreciated, and they're still touring these days. How about that? They were touring long before MTV, and they're still touring today. They have outlasted MTV, and it is the band Y&T. And it's the track Summertime Girls. Incredible. If you've ever seen the movie Real Genius, you've heard this song. And there's a pretty cool video, too. Uh, it's got, you know, got the rocker chicks going to the beach, laying out. One girl even, I think, pours some pinzol on her leg as sunny tan lotion. You know, it's different. But Summertime Girls, great kind of a tribute to Summertime Girls. You know, it's uh, one of those deals, you know, in the 80s. You know, it's just what it was. But the song still holds up. I think Y&T is one of those bands, too. Again, maybe one day we'll do a top 10 Y&T list just because I'd love to expose you to some of their tracks. But, um uh, We've done a couple. I guess we did Don't Be Afraid of the Dark on this, on this show before. But uh, Y&T, a great band. And if you're looking for a, a, a solid rock and roll band that maybe you want to dig into, uh, an expansive catalog, maybe pull up that Y&T Essentials on Apple Music. Number three, going back a few decades, this song has been covered by everybody. I know Alan Jackson covered it. Blue Cheer covered it. A lot of people have covered it. But the original, I still think, stands alone. It's Eddie Cochran's Summertime Blues. Yeah, because he had to work all summer. He went to school all year and had to work in the summer, wanted to take his girlfriend for a date, and his boss said, ah, you can't, son. You got to work late. Great track. Absolutely great. And the fact that so many people have covered it is really a tribute to the uh, songwriting ability of Eddie Cochran. So going back decades, Eddie Cochran's Summertime Blues. Number two, and this was the uh, suggestion of the missus, it's Alice Cooper School's Out for Summer. And for some of us, school's out forever. If you have the chance to go see Alice Cooper, and uh, the homie and I, Sam Denton, went and saw Alice Cooper and Ace Frehley and Tupelo and had a blast. And I said then, if Alice Cooper is ever in a reasonable driving distance, I'm going to go again. The last few times he's come through, I've had to miss it. And I feel like I've, I'm denying myself some great joy. And uh, I will be going to see my friends Faster Pussycat in Nashville uh, here on 21st. So if you're in the greater Nashville area, you want to go for a good night, uh, come check out the Fast Pussycat Show. We'll be there. Uh, but Alice Cooper, anytime you get a chance to go, it's even if you don't know all the tracks, there's just so much theater involved in the show. It is such a wild ride. You owe it to yourself to go to see Alice Cooper. Still performing at an incredible level, and Anita Strauss is now back with the band, which is great. But uh, school's out. 
song's been out forever and a day. It's a timeless classic. Number one, though, it was uh, covered by the Ataris, and I thought they did a great version of it, but it's Don Henley's Boys of Summer. It's not necessarily about the Boys of Summer. It's about the nickname for baseball, the Boys of Summer. I don't know who even coined that phrase, but it's kind of stuck. But um, I think it's one of Don Henley's better solo tracks. We've done the Don Henley solo uh, top ten on the show before. But Boys of Summer is a great one. And it gets a, it's a song about, about love, you know. And there's so many great lines in there, you know. Got those Wayfarers on, all that good stuff. I mean, it's like there's so much of that that is kind of timeless in many respects. And I'll share with you guys, too, those uh, Don Henley solo albums. You know, a lot of people that are true Eagles fans know them well. But if you're, if you're not the big rocker like me, you know, if, if you like rock and you like guitar and you like kind of classic rock and you like the Eagles, if you hadn't done so, Young Bucks, listen to those Don Henley solo albums. I think you'll be very impressed, very impressed. An incredible songwriter, uh, to say the least. And I'm not saying you got to agree with his politics. But to deny the guy's talent is to be short-sighted. Don Henley's Boys of Summer, your number one song today on a top ten list. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. Best way to do that is on social media. I'm on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R and Roy at Dogmatic67, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-67. Our great list also on Spotify. Give Roy a follow on Spotify. Make those lists much easier to find. You never know. A lot of people that say, hey, Steve, I've been jamming these lists for so long. I love it. Look forward to them coming out. And uh, it gives me a chance to listen to some things that maybe I'm not as familiar with, but also some old classics, some things, some songs that I've forgotten about. So we're happy to do it. Reach out and let us know. And um, you never know. We may just use your list on the air, and we'll give you uh, an opportunity to get credit for it if you so desire. Thanks, as always, to Roy, the keeper of the list, for all he does to keep the uh, boneyard machine rolling along. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Stark Billion institution. Be sure and go by and check them out next time you're in town, neatly positioned on the backside of campus. You can swing in there and pick up your Mississippi State merch. A couple of quick turns here at Mississippi State's historic sports venues. Be sure and go check them out. If you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. By being a Lawyer Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, we are uh, shifting into college football mode, as we've talked about on the show many times. There will be some changes this year. We're not changing the schedule. You know, we talked about uh, here pretty soon we'll have, uh, you know, the new schedule for 2024 will come out. We'll find out where we're playing, who we're playing, when we're playing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that'll be good. And uh, we're sticking with eight games for now. I suspect until we get a better TV deal, we're going to stick with eight for a while. But all that said, much ado about nothing. A lot of discussion, a lot of uh, college football talking heads said, oh, the SEC is going to nine games. It is a formality. It was not. That is in the best interest of Mississippi State. I am glad that Zach Selman agrees with that sentiment. They did not get nowhere near the votes that people suggested they would for nine games. And again, without the financial payoff, you're just creating more hurdles to get to the playoff. 
I know people are like, but Steve, I don't want to see him play Southeastern Louisiana. That's not the game that was going to go away. It's not the FCS game that's going to go away. It was a Power 5 mandate game It's going to go away. So rather than uh, get rid of that and add another SEC game, which in more cases is more difficult, we're going to stick with what we got for now. But there are going to be some changes. And maybe you've uh, kept up, maybe you hadn't. They're going to outlaw consecutive timeouts. It's something they've toyed with a while back. You know, everybody wants to try to ice a kicker. And they would wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and run down there and call it right as the ball was about to be snapped to try to ice a kicker. You can't do that anymore. I don't, I don't know how effective it is anyway. I don't. Maybe you do. But I don't. I know Massimo Biscardi um, got iced and still made the kick. Nevertheless, icing the kicker. You can call one, not two, not three, but one. No longer going to extend a quarter. You know, at times there would be a penalty on the final play of a quarter, and we'd have an untimed down. I don't know how much of a difference that makes, to be honest with you. Like, one of the things that I've read is that the uh, average length of a college football game went up by five minutes in the last few years. Five minutes. I mean, that, that's a good Led Zeppelin song. Right? Are we really that upset? We need to make all these drastic changes. And maybe they're not quite so drastic, but it's like we're not going to do an untimed down. We're just going to you know, pick it up at the end, and we're going to let them play a time down once a quarter resumes. I just don't see that making a big difference. I mean, how many times does that happen over the course of a year? You know, once or twice a game? I don't know. But probably the most significant change is the running clock. According to this, you know, in college, you got the, uh, the stop of the clock to move the chains, which I thought was always kind of a good rule. You know, of course, you know, one of the reasons I think we need to look into, uh, if we're worried about the length of games, maybe perhaps we look at uh, all the uh, television timeouts. Because, you know, when games start running short, people start shortening the game. Got to get all these ads in to pay for everything. So maybe, maybe we could be a little more creative in the marketing, kind of like soccer does. You know, with the logo pops up, you're watching the game and there's like a banner ad or whatever. Maybe we do that. But now it's not going to stop on a first down unless it's in two minutes of a half. That will drastically speed up the game. It's also going to change play call on a lot too. And so we'll see how that goes. But that's going to be something that I think is uh, rather interesting. It's more like the NFL rule. Well, the clock's going to continue. So these two-minute drives at the end, I mean, you know, we've had some in recent years. It's like it's a two-minute drive, but because they get the first down, it turns into a much longer deal. And we had that against Ole Miss last year. You know, that the big drive, you know, Will Rogers fumbles at the one-yard line, and they, they put together that great drive, give them credit. And they drive down the field and have a chance to tie the ball game. And Randy Charlton steps in, bats the ball down a two-point try. But a great drive, nonetheless. It would be more difficult under the new rule. So there will be some games late where you don't have the time that you used to have. People say, oh, two minutes is an eternity in college football, and it was. Because you could always just move the chains and everybody hustle to the line. And then, of course, you know, once the ball is marked ready for play, the clock starts again. Well, now it's just never going to stop. So that could be a rather significant change. That's important to understand as we kind of move forward. That's one that I think will be somewhat dramatic and change the flow of games.
Now, one change that hasn't happened yet, and I do believe there will be a change, no matter how convoluted the federal government is or what you think about that. You know, this week, uh, SEC leadership made the trip to Washington, D.C. to meet with uh, yeah, Marsha Blackburn, of course, got met with by the uh, Mississippi State officials. Uh, we have got to have federal oversight with NIL. And some people say, oh, we don't want to involve the federal government. That time has passed because we have state laws that do not work in concert with each other. And as a result, like I give you an example, Utah. In the state of Utah, the university can actually broker an NIL deal with a player. Well, you can't do that in most states. There are some states don't even have an NIL law, period. And so you've seen some players at times that have transferred to schools in more lucrative states that have more uh, relaxed NIL regulations because they have the opportunity to cash in. You saw it last year. And so we need federal oversight for a lot of reasons. But, uh, you know, like in Mississippi, you know, we had the first law and, and to the state legislature's credit, they were one of the first states to put a law in together. Then they changed the law and Alabama actually repealed their law because they felt it was too restrictive. And it was get, causing their schools to have uh, an, a disadvantage when it came to recruiting. Now, it's important to understand we're all recruiting many of the same players. And let's say, for an example, let's say you have a guy in uh, Birmingham and he's being recruited by Tennessee and Mississippi State and Alabama and Georgia or whoever else. Well, now that NIL has become such a big deal, you've got some players out there, of course, that are, have some advisors that are pretty savvy in how it all works. It's like, hey, you need to go here because you're going to get more money. And is that something that we want? I would say no. So we need to at least level the playing field in that respect. And I'll read you a couple things that are, I think are important. Uh, Tommy Tuberville, you know him from Pine Box fame, and uh, now he is a uh, senator from Alabama. We have, come, we have to come to some kind of agreement where we can help the NCAA make improvements to this runaway NIL situation, runaway, excuse me, that we're in as we speak. Players transfer in at any time, players making deals, with the help of agents with schools, then not being compensated after making these deals. That is an important part of NIL that I don't think that the casual fan fully appreciates. There are some schools out there and some collectives that are using NIL inducements as part of the recruiting process and then not making good on the deal. And at this point, there really are no consequences for that so they can say and do whatever they want and get things all fired up and say hey you come here you know we're going to give you this and then they don't or perhaps the player doesn't play as much as anticipated and so they're kind of crawfishing on the deal and so there has to be some protection for student athletes but also too for the schools and again if if the school itself can make the deal in some states and not in others there has to be some type of regulation to ensure there's fair play. And people would say, but Steve, you know, the federal government, guys, listen, this is why we have a federal government. And the federal government could put a national law in place governing NIL that makes all state laws moot and ineffective. And that's what needs to happen. There needs to be a law of the land that applies to all schools, to all states, because if not, you'll have, uh, let's, let's say for an example, let's just pick any state, let's just you know, pick, Louisiana. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not picking on Louisiana. I lived there for a long time. But, you know, that state, much of their state legislative body 
is educated by LSU. And so they could decide, hey, you know, LSU and Tulane and UL Monroe are rarely ever recruiting the same players, right? Kids in Louisiana that want to go to LSU get the opportunity to go to LSU, go to LSU. However, the state legislature could decide, hey, we want to make LSU and our Louisiana schools have the most impassioned opportunities to compensate student-athletes in the country. And they could say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make it where fair market value doesn't exist, and you go to LSU or go to Louisiana school, you could make more money than you could anywhere else in the country. There is nothing right now, there is no federal oversight to prevent that from happening. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that's what's happening in Louisiana. We're just using that as an example. You could say the same thing for Texas. You know, there's a lot of people, people forget the, the whole SMU thing involved the governor of Texas. There are people that are very passionate about college athletics that are in federal and state government. And so there are schools and states out there that can basically throw a bigger wrench into this than they already have. They, somebody could just figure it out and say, here's what we're going to do. You know, we'll find a way to make this thing work to ensure that LSU has the opportunity to give bigger and better NIL deals than any school in the Southeastern Conference. There is nothing anywhere to prevent that from happening. Nothing. And that's one of the main reasons we need federal oversight. If you don't think that's the case, just wait. That's the thing about rules, right? I mean, the rules only apply to law-abiding. They don't really affect the cheaters because, in fact, they're cheaters. You make all the rules you want. They'll find a way around them. But there has to be federal oversight. And the fact that your head coach and your university president and your athletic director went to Washington, D.C., should explain to you how emergent this situation is. And I give John Cohen a lot of credit. Before this ever happened, John told me they're going to pair this thing up with the one-time transfer exemption, and we're going to have Pandora's box because we're basically going to have guys picking transfer destinations based on NIL compensation. And one of my biggest complaints about all this is the NIL put some guardrails in and they haven't enforced their own rules. And people think, well, they can't. Well, you know what? You know, the, the NCAA gets sued every day. Go ahead and put it in place. These are the rules. We all accepted this. The university presidents voted on this. We're saying, hey, you can't use NIL as a recruiting inducement. We'll put some money on probation for it. Because that's what's happening all around the country. Make an example of somebody. I mean, Miami, those people were basically flaunting in everybody's face. And you saw the whole Jalen Rashada thing in Florida. That played out exceptionally public. A lot of people were involved in all that and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to pay you this. And then all of a sudden, something happened. They couldn't afford to pay the deal. And there were administrators, reportedly, from the University of Florida that were kind of working the phones with their donorship to try to fund the compensation required to fund this deal. Next thing you know, Rashada asked out of his letter of intent. Now he's at Arizona State. And they said he got no NIL compensation there. So this young man went through all of this nonsense uh, for nothing. And so shouldn't there be some consequences when you back out of the deal? Shouldn't there be some regulation to ensure that, uh, that when there is a deal agreed to, that it's not just some uh, false promise to get a guy to sign, and once they're signed, they're trapped? There's some fine print that perhaps they didn't read. There needs to be regulation. And again, this is why we have a federal government, to ensure that everybody is protected by the same law. 
but it doesn't vary from state to state or conference to conference. That has to happen. That's one thing that we've talked about for months. This is, there will come a time there will be a national policy and protocol. And I think, you know, give the NCAA leadership now credit in, in lieu of uh, Mark Emmert, which was a, a very feckless leader who was kind of along for the ride, they had every opportunity uh, to frame this thing up in a way that worked for everybody. We knew the train was coming. We just sat there on the tracks powerless like, well, it'll all work out. Well, it didn't work out. Now we've got a huge mess, and we're having to depend on the federal government to bail us out. But it has to happen. And it's again, it's because of inaction by the leadership of the NCAA. Here's a comment from Greg Sankey. There's a lot that goes on between our campuses and D.C., and so this is an opportunity to focus on athletes and some of the pressures that we're facing to communicate that given the realities in college athletics, Congress is the place that can fix the issues that we have. Absolutely correct. Nick Saban commented, they're talking about the players, if we do uh, go down this path, that they'll just unionize, and that, that probably is what we should expect, whether you like it or not, there'll be a collective bargaining agreement. Saban says, I have no problem. I mean, unionize it. Make it like the NFL. It's going to be the same for everyone. I think that's better than what we have now. Everything they do in the NFL is to create what? Parity. And he's absolutely correct there. Nobody should be able to have a monopoly when it comes to NIL. And Saban continued, if they can have everybody going into the 17th week of the season, 8-8, eight and eight, that would be like a dream for the NFL. You think there is disparity right now in college football? There's going to be more in the future. And this is a guy that has absolutely benefited from all this. Absolutely has. I mean, Alabama, the greatest dynasty in the history of college football. And the fact that Nick Saban sees that, and there is going to be greater disparity, because you know, what's going to stop, let's just say for an example, what if the University of Utah petitioned their state legislature and said, hey, here's what we want. And then all of a sudden, Utah, who can broker the deal, they go to their TV partners and say, hey, here's what we want to do. If you'll give us X million more dollars, then we're going to take that money and put it in our NIL coffers. And then all of a sudden, they start recruiting on a level that has been unforeseen in school history. And they're bankrolling their recruiting. And because the university can make the deal, there'll be some honor in the deal. And all of a sudden, they start taking recruits from Alabama and LSU and USC. And they stockpile a roster full of talent uh, through this NIL disparity that we have now, is that fair play? It's not. People say, well, see, it's a free, free commerce system. I agree with that, too. I just want the rules to apply to everybody. Saban went on to say, I don't think it's going to be a level playing field because some people uh, were showing a willingness to spend more than others. Whereas if you want to bring the NFL into it, they have a salary cap. They have all the things that level the playing field. We can put guidelines on this stuff that will do the same thing. He is absolutely correct. I'm not sure about the cap thing. I don't know how that works. But um, I think it's important to understand that NIL in its current form is not sustainable. You cannot continue to expect your fans to bankroll this. It's not sustainable. And Nick Saban said it best last summer. He's like, hey, everybody wants to go beat their chest and say, hey, I got this kid to Alabama. Which is true. And then the kid doesn't play. The kid gets disenfranchised and elects to transfer. Well, then you're going to think, I'm never going to spend that money again. I spent that money to help Alabama. The kid got the money. We got no benefit from it. Now he's playing at Auburn. Or now he's playing at LSU. I'm never going to do that again. 
And there's going to be people to get burned. There's some people that just say, hey, I believe in the work of the collective. I'm going to give them money to the collective. They can spend it as they choose. When we did Rock Vegas, that's exactly what we did. I set it up where the money went directly to Charlie. We'd never passed through my hands. It went direct from you to the ticket vendor and then to Charlie. Never passed through anybody else's hands. So they got 100% of the ticket revenue from the show. And I told Charlie, you use it where you need to use it, period. I'm not going to tell you it's got to be for baseball or football or basketball or golf or whatever. You utilize this, these resources the best way you can. We raised about $27, almost $30,000. After t-shirt sales, t-shirt sales, it was right around thirty grand. That's a drop in the bucket, but you know what? It's thirty grand we didn't have. And maybe that makes a difference with one or two players. But the reality of it is, is there's no way we can keep doing that. Hey, it's fun doing rock shows. It's fun putting things together. It's fun having a good time. But it's just not sustainable. You know, we're not all multimillionaires out here. And not to mention, there is no tax write-off for giving NIL. Now, there are some changes on the way, the way the Bulldog Club and NIL are structured. I'm going to try to get some more information about that. I want to be able to share that with you. And I know, I know they're probably working through the red tape now to make sure that everything is legal and also proper with NCAA. But there's going to be some changes. And there's going to be a balance. And there has been a lot of that. People say, I got to pick and choose. Do I give the Bulldog Club? Do I give the NIL? Steve, I can't afford to give to both. And you know what? I understand that. I appreciate that. And there are other people that say, hey, I want to give the Bulldog Club. And I get a tax write-off. And I get you know, a better uh, ticketing seat preference. And my priority is different because I am, I am compensated for giving to the Bulldog Club. I am not compensated for giving NIL. It's true. And so you got to be able to, I think, work in concert to ensure that, hey, there is some incentive to give the NIL because this thing isn't going away until there is federal oversight. And then, then and only then, there'll be some changes. And maybe perhaps, again, once it's put together, and there's this big lawsuit out in California, and again, it always starts in California. It does. I, I, I don't know why, but it does. You know, you had the O'Bannon lawsuit out there you know, about the video game, and now there's all these people saying, well, you know, uh, you should opt in or you shouldn't opt in. They're offering everybody $500. How many football players there are? Is it worth $500 to have your name and your likeness in the EA Sports college football game? I would say probably yes. How cool would that be? But the reality of it is, is they don't have to have those. I mean, how many people do you know when we play that game every year, couldn't wait for it to come out, would play it all night every night, go to work exa- absolutely exhausted, and we would create our own roster. And then there would be people out there you could send a memory card to and 10 bucks, and they would just have all the NCAA rosters put together. I don't have to have the players compensated for that. I don't have to have EA Sports do that. And people are like, oh, that's not enough money. Then don't take the money because we're going to play with you anyway. We're going to have your likeness and your name and your number on there anyway because you've got the ability to create players. So you don't gain anything by opting out. Well, they should hold out for more money. You know, I, there, there are some people that have so many opinions about how this stuff's going to play out. I wish they would just be quiet. I really do. There are some people that have too broad of an audience. And all of a sudden, this stuff crosses my feed all the time. And people are like, oh, well, so-and-so said this. I, if I wanted to know what he had to say, I'd go find it. I would. And they just beat us to death. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, how about we just cover the team? How about that? Nobody wants your little hypothetical and, you, and your, your mathematical formula that's rooted in nothing but your imagination. Nobody cares about that. Let's stop building that as some big uh, indu- industry-wide uh, you know, shift. It's important to understand. 
Just report the news. Quit trying to make the news. When I think about this O'Bannon lawsuit that started in California, then you have the NIL law that started in California. Now you've got a rev share lawsuit, and it didn't pass in its earlier form, but those judges out there have been very, very, very student-athlete friendly. And so now these athletes want a bigger share of the TV revenue package, which I think that's where NIL ultimately will be funded from. It'll be part of of the package. And if you don't think that that thing is going to pass in some form, you're kidding yourself. And so that's the train that's coming down the track. And so when you're, if you're the SEC and you're members of the SEC, you start thinking, hey, there are many of these athletic departments that are not profitable. Most are just breaking even. And this is where I think that maybe the casual fan doesn't fully appreciate. If you start taxing them more, you start taxing the schools more to pay football and basketball student-athletes that are already going to school for free. Now, all of a sudden, you've got to pay them more out of the rev share. Well, they're not going to cut football or basketball. They're going to cut non-revenue sports. So now, all of a sudden, like all these schools that have archery or badminton or rifle, all of a sudden, I can't afford to fund that. So now, all of a sudden, that becomes an intramural sport unless they want to get out and their parents pay. you got pay to play, and most of them are partial scholarship sports anyway. They're not headcounter sports. And so what happens now is all of a sudden we're taxed financially. Well, we can't cut football or basketball, and in some respects baseball, because those are our cash cows. So where do we cut? Well, we'll just start cutting women's sports. Well, we've got to remain in compliance with Title IX. Okay, well, then we'll cut men and women's golf. That's what we're facing. And we should be about expanding opportunities for student-athletes, not limiting athletes in that respect. How would it be if you look up one day and all we have is the big three sports? Football, baseball, basketball, and their counter sports, women's basketball and softball. What if that's all you had? You say, well, Steve, I don't watch other sports. I don't really care. Well, you know, those student athletes, they certainly care. They're representing you. They're putting in just as much work as everybody else. They just happen to play a sport that's not as popular. It's not on television. You don't... Think it was a big deal this year that the men and women's golf team won a regional for the or t- tennis won a regional for the first time. I mean, I'm saying it's like there's so much of that that happens. Men and women's tennis both win, so we're just going to eliminate tennis too. We're going to eliminate number one. We're going to pay them to go to school, and now we're going to put their sport at risk because we have to pay more money to kids that are already going to school for free. Is that fair? No, and that's the bigger issue with me. Why is there not a bigger push for scholarship equity? Why is there, I mean, right? I mean, let's say for an example, you got a student athlete that excels at tennis. Well, nobody comes to watch tennis, Steve, so we're not going to pay for that. But we are going to go pay the, the student athlete that plays football. We're going to pay them, and we're going to give them a stipend, and we're going to do this. We're going to give them a housing allowance. And now we're going to give them all this NIL compensation on top of it, and they're going to graduate debt-free. But the tennis guy, just because he excelled at a different sport, He's got to go borrow money and get student loans, going to graduate $40,000 in debt. And if you don't think that a Title IX component is coming, you're kidding yourself. You are. That's where the next big lawsuit's going to come. You know, you, you look at the SEC network right now, right? During the spring, they give equal coverage to college baseball and softball. When both are in season, you go watch SEC network live or whatever it is, SEC Today, whatever they're calling it these days. 
It's 50-50. It is. So what happens if we just start cutting back on the sports? That's what's going to happen. You're not going to have the equestrian programs. You're not going to have gymnastics. You're not going to have those, those programs. You're not. They're going to go away. And that's where I agree with Greg Sankey. We have got to do what we can to expand the opportunities available to student-athletes. And by putting the, the universities in dire straits financially, there is no way you can continue to expand sporting opportunities. You can't. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. Our good friend, my good friend, a friend of Mississippi State, Brooks Bryan. I love Brooks. I do. I do. Very happy that uh, his lovely wife, Beth, actually took him on a trip for once. I joke with him about that. Uh, Brooks, my God, man, I do. And I appreciate uh, everything Brooks has done for Starkville and for Mississippi State. There's not going to be a Mississippi State sporting event that Brooks and or Beth are going to be at. But uh, Brooks is part of this great group that runs wonderful residential development group that has brought Portico to reality here in Starkville, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. If you're moving to the Golden Triangle, look no further than Portico. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and anything in between. You get a custom build. You can pick out a lot, have a say in your housing plans. It doesn't have to be this cookie-cutter community. And how great would it be to have a place here in Starkville, whether it be your second home, your future retirement home, or your primary residence, Brooks and the guys can hook you up. Give them a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. Nothing could be better than being that close to campus. Far enough away for convenience, close enough. Or far enough away for some privacy, close enough for convenience. You know what I'm saying. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's talk a little baseball before we get out the door. Uh, there is one game final in the Super Regionals, and did you see it, Virginia and Duke? Many of you are working today. You'll get a chance to see the highlights later. Absolutely incredible game between Virginia and Duke. Went down to the final swing of the game. Duke is up a run. Virginia has two on with two out. It looks like a sure home run to left center and off the bat. It certainly looked and sounded like a shot, and next thing you know, Duke's left fielder robs the walk-off home run to win the game. I saw a statistic earlier. Teams that win game one of a Super Regional have a 79% chance of advancing to Omaha. So for the fighting time, the Armies, our beloved former assistant coach, God rest his soul, at Mississippi State, the guy that laid out Duty Noble Field, the guy that is on groundskeeping, is one of the things that made Duty Noble Field the crown jewel of the SEC baseball community. Uh, went on to be the head coach at the University of Duke. But huge win for them. And Virginia, the number seven national seed, already backs against the wall. And a must-win game tomorrow uh, there in Charlottesville. Big. I uh, saw earlier that TCU, the red-hot Horn Frogs, had a 3-0 lead against Indiana State. So by the time you listen to this game, that game may be final. And here's the thing. Here's my fear if you're Kirk Sarlos. If you win and go on to Omaha, are your self-loathing fans going to say, hey, you went with Jim Schnastegel's players? Not that we would ever say anything like that. But TCU, after what they did in Fayetteville last week and the fact now they get to host a Super Regional against Indiana State, even though the TCU didn't host a Regional, they're playing at TCU because of the fact that Indiana State's hosting a Special Olympics, and good for them. Good for them. Nobody expected Indiana State to be in this position when they made a decision. 
And so many of the fans around the country have donated a Special Olympics, that, that cause there, and that's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. All right, the other side, there's two other games on this side of the bracket, and um, we'll get a chance to watch those. That Florida and South Carolina game, that could be a little spicy, right? Aren't you excited about that? I am. I'm ready to watch that. Matter of fact, I'm going to get this done. I'm, I'm not going to do anything the rest of the night except maybe eat maybe a can of SpaghettiOs, and I'm going to watch, uh, I'm going to watch baseball. I am. Many of you are going to go watch Major League Baseball. I can't remember the last time I watched a complete Major League Baseball game in its entirety. I'm a college guy through and through. But I'm excited about this Florida game. Florida's playing well at the right time. Florida can win it, man. They absolutely can win it. They have the offensive firepower. I think the offense plays well in Omaha. I think they will be able to go up there and hit the baseball because they're not just a power team. But what's interesting about this Florida-South Carolina thing, and maybe you've forgotten this, guys, South Carolina swept Florida. The first game wasn't close. They 10-run rolled them 13-3, and then they get them 5-2 and 7-5. So Florida looking for some revenge, and, of course, South Carolina faded a little bit down the stretch. Had an interesting regional, I guess you could say, but not one that I think most people expect them to lose. But a good regional, nonetheless. But uh, they're going to be in Columbia. No, that's not right. They're going to be in Gainesville because Florida's the number two national seed. Uh, Columbia wins their regional, and then they go to Gainesville. So the Gainesville Super Regional, uh, that'll get underway in just a little bit. I like Florida to win it. Uh, Kevin O'Sullivan is one of the better pitching coaches in the country, even though that uh, their fans are very, very, very fair-weathered. There's a lot of things to do in Florida for sure. Uh, but that being said, I like Florida to win this thing. I do. And um, Oral Roberts in Oregon, uh, you know, snapped three times if you had that. I didn't. I think most people expected Vanderbilt to win. Maybe Oklahoma State or DBU. But Oral Roberts comes through, though, being Eugene, Oregon. That'll be interesting, too, just because of the novelty of the whole thing. Oral Roberts, two wins away from Omaha. The other side of the bracket gets underway tomorrow, which is, to me, the better side of the bracket, to be quite honest with you. That's why I think Florida is in such a good position. If Florida wins, like you begin to think, let's just kind of run it down based on what we expect to happen. Florida's first-round opponent, and Duke, obviously, in, in the driver's seat now with a win, let's say it's Duke. Then Florida would get Duke. And then they've got Oregon or Oral Roberts, and then TCU or Indiana State. Well, TCU's playing really well right now. They're, they're absolutely red hot. But what if Indiana State comes back and wins this thing? Man, Florida would have a dream of an Omaha bracket, an absolute dream, and probably a pretty clear path to the national championship final. I'd love to see that Florida pitch, you know, against this red-hot TCU team. I'm, I'm eager to see if that TCU offense plays in Omaha. Going to be interesting. It is. But Florida, huge, huge advantage to be on that side of the bracket. Now, the other side, again, that I think is more entertaining because the chalk held more than not on this side. Um, so you get down to the bottom of the bracket. But uh, Washington, excuse me, Wake Forest and Alabama, uh, that'll be interesting. I think Wake Forest, their ability to pitch and the fact that they're at home, Alabama has not been a great road team this year. And it's so tough to be a great road team in the SEC. I think Jason Jackson has probably done enough to get the job. And some other people are saying, you know what? It's not a done deal. Maybe they're just trying to keep things turned up on him. But I did have some people about three weeks ago that said he's not getting the job. 
And then a week ago, they're like, I don't know, man. I think maybe he will. Obviously, if he gets to Omaha, you don't have a choice, do you? Well, we did with Gary Henderson, and we went out and hired Chris Simonis, who uh, won an Apple championship. But Wake Forest and Alabama, that'll be interesting. And then Stanford and Texas, I really like the Stanford team. I love their style of play. I like David Esker a lot. Uh, they can pitch it. They're very, very athletic. When I think about how I want our team to look, I think about Stanford. And they don't have a lot of big and burly stiff guys. They've got some guys that can really move. They're very athletic. Stanford is a very dangerous team in this tournament. And their offense plays in Omaha. LSU and Kentucky. If I'm Nick Vingion, I'm throwing the water boy against Paul Skeens. And then I'm saving every arm I have and try to win games two and three. And Because you know what happens, and, and this is this as sure as I'm sitting here, if Kentucky gets game two, that game three on Monday, you talk it could be a church league softball game. And I would venture to say that if this thing goes to a game three, Kentucky might have the advantage from pitching standpoint. Of course, you're down there playing in that softball field they call Alex Box. But I think we're kind of just saying, hey, Skeens will beat them, and then Kentucky has to win game two and then kind of turn Sunday into a Bush League, Church League softball game. And that's kind of Nick Mingeon style. I won't be surprised in the least if Kentucky wins down there. I expect LSU to win. I do think Kentucky will acquit themselves really well, and I think Nick Mingeon has done enough. Uh, to get a, a nice contract extension down there and uh, wish the best for them. But there's no way I would throw anybody with a pulse against schemes. I just wouldn't. Tennessee and Southern Miss, Tennessee fans are incredibly salty. And I, I, I would like to spend a few minutes talking about this thing here. I like the Southern Miss team. Uh, you got Sargent out there. You got Wilkes. You got some guys with some pop. I don't think that they're built for Omaha. But you've got Tanner Hall, obviously an All-American guy. You've got some dudes in that pitching staff that are, that are intriguing. And then you're going to go against a free-swinging team like Tennessee. And Pete Taylor Park is a place, too. Man, the ball travels down there. It'll be interesting to see how it travels in the humidity. I venture to say, for you Tennesseans, as a guy that grew up along Highway 98 in South Mississippi, we've got some heat you can see and feel. And so it's different you know, the, we talk about how at Tennessee, how it's hard to hit balls out to left at night because that cool mountain there just kind of comes down and thickens up a little bit. It's kind of the same way here at times. It gets a little muggy. I like Tennessee to win the series, but to be honest with you, I'd like Southern Miss to win, and then I'd like to see Southern Miss go 0-2 in Omaha. That's just my personal opinion. Maybe you see it differently. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Tennessee program. I like Tony Vitello, but I, I, I don't like the irreverence of that program. Um, so if Southern Miss wins, I think it would be great. Uh, I don't want to see Southern Miss win it, and that's nothing against them. I, I think this is probably their ceiling. And I don't think that Southern Miss, if they make it to Omaha, has much of a chance uh, without Tanner Hall on the mound to really beat anybody in the bracket. But Tennessee, big time. They're going to swing. They are. And uh, I think about the power in that lineup – they get in that Southern Miss bullpen, it could be tough. But Tennessee starting pitching has not been elite. The bullpen has. But I like Tennessee. So here are my eight for Omaha based on the bracket. Wake Forest, Stanford, LSU, and Tennessee. That's what I expect to happen. And, of course, Tennessee and LSU play. 
in game one and in Stanford and Wake Forest. I think that is a very dicey left side of the bracket. On the right side, of course, Florida. I still think Virginia will come back here and win this thing. I think Oregon wins. And I think they go 0-2. And, and I think TCU gets in. And uh, I think that would be a very, very good eight for Omaha. And, and we'll pick it as we get forward. But based on those predictions, I really like Florida. I do. I really like Florida. I like Stanford. I think Stanford can beat Wake. I think a low-scoring ball game kind of plays to their strengths. And with their athleticism and ability to run the bases, I think they're a team that can play well in Omaha. I think David Escar is a guy that understands what it takes. I don't think LSU offense or Tennessee offense plays well at Omaha. I don't. But if I had to call it today, I think it's Stanford and Florida in the finals. That's how I see it today. And we'll take a look over them the next couple days and figure it out, you know. Um, anyway, I enjoy it. A lot of people want to know, Steve, what's going on with the pitching coach search. No real update. You know, we were, I was told on Monday we thought we'd hire a pitching coach, and people all begin to panic, right? They all say, oh, we didn't hire anybody. Guys, again, this is the most important hire of Chris Amonis' career. I think it's important that we make the right hire, not the quick hire. You make the quick hire, it gets people off your back a few days early, but then you got to go play with that guy. You got to get that guy to manage your pitchers. So it's important to get the right guy. Again, I continue to hear Rob Walton's name mentioned in connection with the job. Uh, and of course, Rob Childress heard his name mentioned. Uh, Nate Yeski, I know there's a lot of discussion. He may leave AM. Would he come here? I don't know. We've, met, we've chased that opportunity before. Uh, a lot of people think he's going to go to LSU, and he may. You know, Nate, I think it's a guy that's going to be a future head coach somewhere. And you start thinking, you know what, maybe you come to Mississippi State, who knows, right? Right? We'll see. And then, you know, there's, again, a lot of names out there. But uh, I, I think the pool has been narrowed quite a bit. I do think we're just days away from this. But I think it's important. Take a deep breath here. Let's not assume the negative. I get some people that message me all the time. Well, LSU would have already had this taken care of. And, you know, well, they don't. They don't. You know, we, had, we fired Fox all weeks ago. We were trying to manage our way in the, in the Hoover, and we didn't get there. But there was some fight down the stretch. There was. And one of the things I think is important to understand, too, I could be the pitching coach next year, and we would see some improvement. It's because you've got guys like Colby Holcomb that now have a year of SEC experience under their belt. you got guys like Brock Tapper now have a year. They know what to expect now. So then they go back and watch their film. They work hard in the offseason. They kind of know what it takes to get SEC hitters out now. So you're going to see some, some marginal improvement just based on having a year of experience. So everybody needs to understand that aspect of it. And then all of a sudden you get Tom Simmons back and you get Brock Sager back and you get Nate Williams back. And, of course, Nate hadn't pitched against SEC pitching, uh, hitting, you know. But my point B is you're going to have more arms available and you're going to have guys with a little more experience. And so there is some pieces there that lend to some optimism for the right coach. And I, I had somebody in college baseball tell me this week, if, if State ends up hiring Rob Childress, that's a, that's a great hire. It's a great hire because he is such a good developer of pitchers and a guy that, that understands what it takes uh, to get things done. The problem they had down the stretch at a and was they couldn't score. They could pitch. You forget, they came in here trying to get to Hoover, and we got everything they had, and it was all we could do to win that series against A&M. And that's a national championship team. And again, only one losing season there at AM. That was his first year. The final year, when they had the injuries and they had uh, some offensive struggles, they go 29 27. They miss Hoover. So the one bad year 
in a decade, and he's fired. And then, of course, Rob Walton, a guy that, again, people in Major League Baseball circles love him. I have a lot of friends in the scouting business that will tell you. This is a guy that knows how to take an average player and make him good and a good guy and make him great. And so that's what we need. I think we have the raw materials. We've got some guys, however, that have been here that uh, have not been great. But there are some guys like uh, Durangelo. And, uh, you know, Durangelo is not a 25 walks guy. That's not who he is. We got to get back to what he does well, make him comfortable again. That's what happens. You got guys out there that are trying to, they're, they're trying to throw for spin rate instead of strike zone. We got to get that fixed. You can do both. There has to be a balance, though. We can't overemphasize spin rate at the expense of control, and that's happened a lot. All right, let's get out of here. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You get dogpile, alpha dogs, and flim flim there. Bloom's Oleander only available now for limited time only. Through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMillion.com, or through your local bookstore. And again, Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. And you need to come join us over at Gene's page. I got an email today from the company approaching a record high in subscriptions. That's incredible. And at this time of year, usually the spring after signing day is when things begin to run off. Uh, and then all of a sudden it ramps back up in football season. So we expect to hit some huge benchmarks at jeanspage.com. We want you to be a part of that. Come join our merry band of misfits. But I'll tell you, you know, bring a sack lunch too because when you get over there, you're going to get involved with some discussions with some very knowledgeable people at times, and you may not agree. And feel free to disagree. Just do it in a respectful way. Let's get out of here. We'll see you guys on Monday. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.